0: August 11, 1973, Cindy Campbell hosts a back-to-school party in the basement of 1520 Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx. She asks her big brother Clive to DJ that party, though when he is behind the turntable, he goes by the name DJ Cool Herc. As the party heats up, Herc auditions what he would later call a merry-go-round. Herc had noticed that there were always a certain part of different songs where the dancers really went wild. It was during the break, which is most often a brief drum solo, that lasted just a matter of seconds. So how can I keep that part of the song going on and on?" He asked himself. Well, what if you have two turntables? And he played the same break back to back to back. You could extend them for minutes at a time. So on this late summer evening, with two copies of James Brown's Give It Up or Turn It Loose, that's what he did. He played this six-second drum break on a loop, and the kids went wild. Now that has become the creation myth for the genre of music known as hip-hop as it turns 50 this year. Now, in 1973, everybody who lives in the Bronx knows James Brown, right? But thanks to his father's larger record collection, Herc's taste in music was a bit broader than most. So in the merry-go-round, he started mixing in samples from other records, an intro from the incredible Bongo Band, or a bridge by a British rock band called Babe Ruth that you probably never heard of. But these were white artists that were not on regular rotation in the Bronx. Which is to say, DJ Cool Herc mixed things that did not usually go together. Our scripture today is a story of God mixing people who do not go together. It's a story about the prophet Elijah, who is the hot-headed pepper pot among the Hebrew prophets. You see, Elijah is fiercely loyal to the Lord, and he despises those who worship any other gods. So when Israel's king named Ahab marries a Sidonian princess named Jezebel and together they begin building altars to the thunder god Baal, man, Elijah is furious. There are many ways that he could have responded, but Elijah reaches for the nuclear option. He prays to God and invokes this long and punishing drought. Now in a drought, everyone, whether you're innocent or guilty, everybody suffers. Everyone, that is, except Elijah himself. Elijah retreats to the biblical version of Club Med. There's a stream with water running all the time. Ravens deliver him bread and meat twice a day. So it would be fair to say that Elijah is a very privileged prophet. Now, those ravens are something of a wink and a nod from the narrator. Ravens are scavengers. They eat dead things, which by Jewish law means they are unclean. And yet they're the instrument by which God feeds this prophet who is obsessed with purity. It's as if God is subtly preparing Elijah's heart for what's to come Well, God causes the river to dry up, God cuts off the daily deliveries. And this is where we join the story, a reading from 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail. But sometime after this, the son of the woman became ill, His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring me my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. But Elijah said to her, Give me your son. He took the boy and he carried him into the upper chamber where he was lodging and laid him on his own bed. He cried out, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity, even upon the widow with whom I am staying, by killing her son. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother. Then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, do any of you remember... That old show, Lost in Space. All right, you remember the robot in that show? How it would flail its arms around and say, Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Great special effects back then. I want you to imagine that robot following Elijah as he steps into Zarephath, deep in Sidonian territory. Our prophet. He can do nothing but think like the purist that he is. So that robot's going, Sidon is hometown of Jezebel. Jezebel worships idols. Idols are bad. All Sidonians are bad. That's the tape in Elijah's head going again and again. You can practically see the disgust dripping off of him as Elijah stomps into town. Give me some water, he says without an ounce of awareness that they are living through a drought, a drought that he caused. and To make matters worse, in spite of the fact they are starving to death, he adds, oh, and bring me some bread while you're at it. I haven't eaten since this morning. As a prophet, Elijah is tasked with seeing the world as it should be. But he is absolutely blind to the world as it is, even when it's staring at him right in the face. But y'all, God is beginning to mess with Elijah. God cannot help but mix people who do not belong together. So in spite of all his disdain for those idol-worshiping Sidonians, Elijah is about to meet an actual Sidonian for the first time in his life. Now, maybe it's the desperation in her voice that catches his attention, but the widow tells her story. And Elijah listens. I have nothing to offer you. We have just a little bit of meal, a few drops of oil. I'm looking for a couple sticks so I can bake what I have left, and then my son and I will starve. You know, Scripture can be so maddeningly succinct. The way the story is told conceals What is most amazing here? Now, Elijah announces this miracle of endless grain and bottomless jug of oil. That's impressive. But the real miracle is what's happening in the heart of our prophet. Softened a bit by her story, Elijah does follow the woman home, but people don't change just like that. And this prophet has far too much prejudice to overcome in a single day. So I imagine him dusting the furniture off before he sits, still salty about having to spend time in this Sidonian backwater. But then a little boy enters the room. Does anybody remember that movie Jerry Maguire? Yep, some of you. Great, great. All right, so I imagine it playing out a lot like Jerry Maguire. Imagine this little Sidonian boy with spiky hair, Coke bottle glasses, tumbling into the room and plopping down next to Elijah. Sidonian boy says, Did you know that the human head weighs eight pounds? Elijah, did you know that King Ahab of Israel is the reason it hasn't rained for months? Sidonian boy, did you know that bees and dogs can smell fear? Elijah, did you know that Jezebel ordered the death of all the Lord's prophets and I'm the only one left? Sidonian boy says, Did you know that my neighbor has three rabbits? And Elijah says, I cannot compete with that. All right, I'm sure it looked not a thing like that at all. But what I mean to say is that there's a connection, the beginning of a relationship, and something begins to shift inside our purity-obsessed prophet. It's just the beginning, but Elijah, he has nothing but time, because this is not A week-long stay at an Airbnb, and this is not a week-long mission trip. This drought lasts for more than two years. Two years that Elijah does life with this family. Maybe that's how long it took for God to change such a stubborn heart. But changed he is. When the boy becomes ill, when the boy dies, the widow, she pounds on Elijah's chest. Is this why you've spent all this time with us? Is it to destroy us for our idolatry? Doubtlessly, she's overheard his prayers. She's listened to him go on and on about how much he hates being stuck in this Sidonian town that he just as soon burned to the ground. She's not wrong to accuse him, I'm sure. She's not wrong to ask, is this the work of your God? But then, you know, Elijah does something truly amazing. He says to the woman, give me your child. Give me this boy that I have come to love as if he were my own. He cradles him in his arms and he takes him upstairs upstairs. then are zealous for the Lord, follow Yahweh's orders no matter what prophet prays. Perhaps like he has never prayed before, he beats, he beats on the chest of God. Have you killed this boy? Have you brought devastation on this widow by taking her son? Answer me, have you? And he prays this not once, not twice but three times, and Elijah is not letting this go. A privileged prophet cries out from the upper room, an impoverished mother cries out from the lower room, and God hears the unity of their prayer, and the boy is revived. This, this is the real miracle. Forget about the jar of meal. Forget about the jug of oil. God brought a privileged prophet together with a broke, idol-worshipping widow. Elijah took up her cause, even against God. Love shifted something within him, and now he's changed. You know, the story underscores something we all know to be true. Relationships change us. God uses relationships to change us, and the most potent relationships of all are the ones in which deep differences meet, where God mixes together two people who have no business being together. I want to tell you about Steve Kinder. Steve often sits right over here. He's not with us this week. He's visiting his brother in New Jersey Now, many of you will know Steve because he married our dear Gail Norwood not even a year and a half ago, and Gail died all too soon this past summer. It's been heartbreaking, most of all for Steve. That's how many of you might know Steve. But what you might not know is that Steve served in the United States Army for his entire career. And the army took Steve all over the world, including Afghanistan. Now, there's much about being a soldier in a hostile land that somebody like me will never fully appreciate nor understand. And I try to be sensitive to that at all times, but I have to confess that I was pleasantly surprised that when two years ago, when I put out a call, For any in the church who would be interested in helping to welcome a family of Afghan refugees, Steve was among the first to volunteer. For about 18 months now, UPC has been in a sponsoring relationship with Samir and Salama and their four children. Now there are many in the church who have helped this family in various ways. Leslie May facilitated our introduction, Beth Visser has helped. So I don't want to paint this as if this were Steve's work and Steve's work alone, but I have loved watching Steve connect with this family, how he's woven them into his life. From helping them move into their first apartment, to working with Samir on job interviews and organizing his bills and finances, to coming to love those four children who run to him and call him Mr. Steve, Mr. Steve. There's this life-giving connection that has blossomed. It's quite beautiful. He refers to Samir as his brother. This week, I asked Steve, so why did you choose to get involved in this family's life? He told me, I probably spent a total of six years on Afghan soil. They are good, good people. Some are extremists, but most of them are good people who just want to lead a good life. People like Samir kept the army's refrigerators working out in the desert. People like Samir kept our vehicles running. Then he told me about the time when his own vehicle broke down in Kabul in the middle of the night. He was on some important business. People needed him to get where he was going. He told me about the mechanic that came out to look at his car barefooted in the snow and how the man promised he would work on the vehicle through the night and have it ready by morning. And true to his word, Steve had a working vehicle the next morning. He also had a pair of boots in hand for the man who helped him out. You know, the, term, the sermon title today suggests that serving changes you, I'll adjust that a little and say that service invites us into relationships that have the power to change you, relationships that forever alter the person you are becoming. As Christians, we build our lives around a God who messes with us, who mixes us together in odd but life-giving combinations. A God who winks at us through ravens and relationships that we could never see coming. Yeah, sometimes those relationships are risky, complicated. They invite suffering into our lives that we would never choose on our own. Consider this widow of Zarephath. She's not exactly a promising prospect at first. Elijah found her half-starved, searching for a couple of sticks so she could go home, bake some bread, and prepare to die. But friends, remember that we, the church, we build our lives around Jesus. Jesus, who told his first disciples to go search for a couple of sticks, who said to them and says to us, take up your cross and follow me. I would not call it a merry-go-round. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. But church, this is what we're built for. Amen.